Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, I'm psychic witch Angela Lovell, and I'm super excited to talk existential kink with author Carolyn Elliott today. Dear Witchy Poo, I feel like I'm cursed. All of my relationships have been pure trash. My wannabe career is a joke and I can't manifest for shit. I guess I'm asking for a spell or ritual to overhaul literally every single aspect of my life. Are there any deities who would even want to work with a total loser like me? Sorry to be so negative. I've been in a funk for a while now and all the love and light crap isn't working. Thanks for your help, Margo. So today I get to answer this letter with Dr. Carolyn Elliott. She's the author of Existential Kink, A Handbook of Life-Altering Magic, and she also wrote the cult favorite, Awaken Your Genius. She earned her PhD in critical and cultural studies from the University of Pittsburgh and runs a seven-figure online business specializing in helping people achieve dramatic positive change in their lives through shadow integration practices and applied occult philosophy. She offers a lot of popular online courses too, all of which I want to take. Um, and she really helps people step into their power. Welcome, Carolyn. Oh, hi, Angela. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. This is seriously my most favorite writing on shadow work ever. Oh, yay. I'm so happy to hear that. Mine too. <laughs> oh, good, good. <laughs> um, so I want to set this up a little bit. Um, if like, if you listeners are like me and, um, you know, somebody made you read The Secret a decade ago or whenever that came out and you were like, this is too simplified. This is stupid. This is the book for you. It's, it's like the anti-secret is how it feels to me. It's, <laughs> it's so much more powerful. Um, I feel like uh, it's it's personalized in this way that so much manifestation and shadow work is not. And, you know, that's the person, that's each individual personalizing it. But um, I've asked Carolyn to read the part of the book. It's page 24, so it's really early in. When I got to this part, I was like, I'm in. This is this book is for me. Um, <laughs> so we're going to have a little a little author reading. Okay, here we go. Yeah, I love this part, too. All right. <laughs> Page 24. We need only look around our planet to see that God's idea of a fun time includes some seriously edgy, ultra-taboo, hardcore stuff, including war and poverty and pain and ravaging and abuse and atrocities of all variety. That's a whole lot of sadism and masochism, dominance and submission, bondage and torture in both extreme and subtle forms that God enjoys playing out with God's self. I propose that all our suffering and stuckness in life comes from forgetting that we are divine sparks playing a wild kinky game and that great miracles can come forth in our lives when we reverse the process of forgetting by deliberately reclaiming the pleasure of the game not just in our minds, but in our hearts and in our genitals. <laughs> now, I acknowledge this might be difficult to accept, especially after 2,000 years of Christianity insisting on a God that's wholly good, who nonetheless is constantly mysteriously counterbalanced by a powerful evil devil. But it simply stands to reason that if we want to consciously embody our whole divine inheritance and become true magicians, to become people who are capable of attaining our most meaningful aims, 
and experiencing bountiful fulfillment, healing, and love in our daily lives, then we need to wake ourselves up in the midst of this great freaky game by savoring it, enjoying it, grieving exquisitely for it, getting off on it, just like God does. When we do this, we become lucid in the dream of waking life, capable of executing marvels. We become undeniably, tangibly aware of the divine presence, the spark of God's self within us. We start to perceive our lives from the perspective of the divine curiosity within us, instead of from our grasping egos. I love that so much. I feel like, you know, the whole, um, and you're, you know, you're a recovered Christian, which you know, most witches are, I guess, but, but um, the whole um, made in, you know, his image and, and all of this, uh, I like aspects of that. I love, I love the idea. I mean, it also kind of lets God off the hook, right? Like if God's like, I'm into this, but <laughs> it just has this like, you know, um, Mars energy, like Aries energy to it that I think serves a lot of people to step into and to really revel in. I felt my favorite, my favorite therapists, my favorite books, my favorite psychics, they always give me permission, you Mm. know, permission. And this book is that like you're giving people permission and their own individual power. Thank you, Angela. Yeah, that's, um, I agree. That was the same experience I had is, um, yeah, the people, the therapists, the teachers who've helped me most in life were all people who gave me that kind of deep permission and unconditional love. And um, I'm really, really happy that you feel that in my book. Oh, I love it. I love it so much, Carolyn. Seriously. I it's so funny too because I I told you when I when I first saw it, I was like, oh, sex magic. I like that. And then I started reading it and I was like, holy shit. <laughs> so <laughs> much more. Um, and also I've said this a lot on this podcast, on my other podcast. I love pain. I I, like even the line you read, the exquisite, oh, um, grieving exquisitely for it. Mm-hmm. I love grief. I mm-hmm. feel like my best lessons in this life have come in those moments. Mm-hmm. And and yet I have also kind of crossed over into a threshold where I'm not like seeking out painful partners anymore. And, you know, yeah. that's, that, that's in the book as well. The switch you flip, but then also still finding like the fun in it. Even, um, what is it? When your husband gets sassy, how it used to make you feel and then how you flipped it. Yeah. Um, it's so good. It's just such a I'm I'm like, I'm going to stop praising it and try to talk more about, but it's just, (laughs) you've just reframed so much stuff that everybody is going to feel it. I mean, this is going to run. I was seriously texting so many friends, um, mostly Virgos and Scorpios. I think Mm -hmm. Virgos and Scorpios, I have a lot of Scorpio in my chart. We like to hurt, but, Mm -hmm. and I'm, and, and yet I'm not into, well, that I know of, I mean, I'm like, maybe I need to explore this, but bondage, you know, I'm not actually into BDSM. I mean, I guess I've enjoyed it. Yeah. You know what? That's something I need to explore clearly after reading this book. Um, but so it's not even like that. It's not even for people who are, you know, all about a dom sub kind of relationship. This is like, each of us has this fun masochist in us who is looking to, I mean, we're, you even say this, which I say all the time, we come to this planet to experience the lows, you know, it's like safe and comfortable and warm on the other side. We're coming here for this stuff and then we're not really embracing or having fun with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just loved like everything, the exercises that, but I mean, I'm going to get through. I have a whole list that's going to go in order, but I mean, even to get to that part and be like, oh my God. And the exercises are so useful. Like it was just happy surprise after happy fun, you know, sometimes sadistic surprise, but um <laughs> I did love you have um, an excerpt in there and because uh, the love and light stuff, you know, I do lead. I I think leading with love and light is great. You know, you make people feel good. You're, you're spreading warmth. But then, you know, I got into this fight with my neighbor the other day and 
I, 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 you know, my sole contract is self-respect and I got to stand up for myself all the time. And she was being passive aggressive and I got aggressive, aggressive. And then I came away and I was like, oh, you know, I came on too strong, blah, blah, blah. And then I started thinking about your book and I was like, no, you know what? I'm going to enjoy that tiny war because I picked that fight because I like to fight. Mm. <laughs> and it was like, mm. I could stop turning it over in my mind after that. But um, the thing I wanted to say about love and light, you have this moment in the book where it's compared to staring into the sun while standing in a pile of feces, spraying perfumed affirmations, but then <laughs> pretending the feces isn't there. I thought that was so good. Um, and I, I do want to hear, because you are such, you know, like... Um, I started going down your rabbit hole and reading more about you. And you are such a positive person. You know, you're not like this, like goth witch, hardcore, you know, like you're, you're a bubbly, bright, amazing human being who clearly is also still, you know, leading with love and light. But then there's this dark side that you're tapping into. And I'd love to hear you talk just a little bit about where, where you kind of like categorize or, or compartmentalize, I would say, uh, love and light in your daily life. Oh, I love this question. I love this question. So yeah, so the funny thing is, is I do actually think that everything is love and light, except I think that love and light are uh, way more disgusting and fucked up than most people <laughs> understand. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, just that like light pervades everything, uh, you know, the sun um you know, the whole E equals MC squared, like energy, light, right? We are all literally made of light, like from the mm -hmm. most terrible um, criminal to the most wonderful saint. Um, and we're all pervaded by love. I mean, love keeps the universe in motion, the attraction of, um, <laughs> you know, protons for electrons. <laughs> That's what the whole thing yeah. is. And um we're all pervaded by that. And whenever we, you know, if you look at um, the teachings from pretty much every spiritual tradition and every corner of the world, it does have to do with like limitless compassion, limitless love. And it's so fun. It's like we try, um, I think, you know, Carl Jung, who's a giant inspiration of mine, mm -hmm. talked a lot about how you know, we'll, we'll give lots of compassion to the pitiful wretch in the street, but the pitiful wretch inside of us, we're just like endlessly ashamed of, and we want to get rid of them. And like, <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. And so I see my work is a lot about, um, really, really, really just like, uh, allowing myself to be as permeated by the love and the light as I am, including all of these parts of me that my ego tells me are just uh, totally weird and useless and dangerous and unacceptable and all of these things. So it's, um, and it's funny because it's like, yeah, I'm not, I definitely am not that goth on the surface. I have friends who are way, <laughs> way, way more goth. And on another level, um, I, I am in touch with the fact that I am like a little bit like the most goth, like, <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. I know. I know. I know. I love bright colors. It's so funny. Everybody always makes, when I do a, a witch panel or something, I'm always the one in like all the hot pink. Um, but everybody makes fun of me. And then I have like a real dark side that I'm also, um, protective of like she, she matters too, but you have worked and you, I know this is, you know, the work you do, you are teaching people how to integrate them and, and how to help them live harmoniously together. And it's funny. It's the question that I'm asked the most is actually about shadow work. I think so few people I, I even know how to start. I mean, um, even I, I, this, there was just so much that resonated with me in this book. Um, there, you know, like, we all like our negative patterns and there's that, um, I think, I mean, I, is it an adage? It's the, um, we're all in the partnership we think we deserve to be in. Mm. And I, I loved that. And whenever I, you know, like, you know, in readings or clients that I have, I, I, I try to push that some people don't really, can't really accept that they have power over things. And yeah, 
I learned in the book where, yeah, yeah. And that's so much of it is like, um, you know, everybody's using the term the matrix and, and it's like, everybody just woke up to that we're in this matrix. And I'm like, you guys just found out we're in a matrix? Like, duh, like this is Disneyland. It's not, it's not, um, I, I just, I feel like it can be so much better and even the pain, you know, and I have a very similar background to yours with lots of abuse and, you know, terrible childhood abuse, things like this. But I, I honestly, sincerely believe I chose it. I know I did. I took out a really big, hefty soul contract in this mm-hmm. life. I wanted them to pile it on and they did. And, uh, you know, and for a while I was like, and now life will get easier. And it's like, nope, it doesn't, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, it's, we're not here for easy. We're here, you know, even right now with what we all signed up for to be here during this, this time when we're going to mm-hmm. see this like Renaissance phase come about after all this uh, pain and, you know, not seeing each other. Um, but, I love so much because, you know, where do you start with shower work, shadow work? Like it's so tricky, but I love the part where you kind of like gently call out how the ego says, um, no, no, it's not true that I like my negative patterns. I don't, I'm not, I'm not a masochist, you know, like this ego that is designed to protect us, but it's so hard to get people to see past the ego to actually take an honest look at the negative patterns that they are generating. I mean, they are the gods of their world. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it, it's that simple. But how, because I know that you do a lot of work with a lot of different kinds of people. Is there, have you found a way to, and even people who are like, no, I want to see it that way, but I really think this is circumstantial. Have you found a way to help people really push past their ego? Oh, such a great question. So I am lucky in that a lot of the people who come to me for coaching, pretty much all of them nowadays have read my book and already <laughs> are resonating with it. <laughs> and just want more, you know, personal attention with it. But um, yeah, when I'm trying to explain the concept or like how to begin to with shadow work to somebody who, um, you know, is not familiar with my work, who's never heard of it before, like I've just met them randomly at a party or something. Um, you know, I talk about how uh, our unconscious is the generative part of us. It's the, you know, we're constantly being guided beyond our conscious control, you know, towards relationships, towards situations, towards, um, things. And so it's really, it's our unconscious desires that are shaping our selection of the people in our lives, of the the work that we get into. And until we work on that we, you know, like Jung said, until we make our unconscious conscious, it will rule our life and we will call it fate. And it just seems like fate. It just seems like, oh my gosh, I'm fated to get into this kind of shitty relationship over and over again. I'm fated to only be able to make this amount of money each month. I'm fated to experience this and that. And um, the way that I, you know, one of the ways that I point to helping people realize that we do, we do this, um, we create these fates for ourselves because we actually do, our unconscious has a deep taboo, repressed, hidden uh, pleasure and enjoyment in these things, in being mm-hmm. mistreated and being, um, you know, rejected, humiliated, uh, <laughs> all the fun yes. stuff. Yes. Um, one of the ways that I talk about that is, um, you know, we all love to watch, I mean, maybe not all, but a huge amount of humanity loves to watch really scary TV shows and movies. Like at the time oh that God, I wrote the yes. book. Yeah, right? <laughs> the time that I wrote the book, the two most um, watched TV shows in the world with like 30 million people watching them, um, something more, way more than that, <laughs> were Game <laughs> of Thrones and The Walking Dead, which are both terrifying, violent, oh God, yeah brutal, tragic. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, you know, and that's what people want to tune into. And I don't, I think it's, it's pretty easy to understand that if that's what we like in entertainment, that at some level is just what we like. 
And we can say all day long, no, 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 I don't like that in my own life at all. I want my own life to just be sunshine and roses. I was like, yeah, okay, sure. That's all. That's what we all consciously want. But some part of you is attracted to the scary zombie shit. Okay. Yes. Oh my God. That's a really good point. Yeah. It, it's funny. Cause I'm listening, I'm listening to you talking and, and, and my mom always has the, my whole life, you know, she would take my Stephen King novels when I was a kid and throw them in the garbage and things like that. And, um, and even now it's always, I can't believe you kids are, have enjoyed that trash. And, and I'm like, she's one of the most repressed people. I love her so much, but she's one of the yeah. most repressed people I know. And, and that makes sense. She can't enjoy that side and not that horror is for everybody. I mean, I know a lot of women who can't, watch Handmaid's Tale. And for me, as a survivor of sexual abuse and assault, I love rape revenge of all kinds. <laughs> and and it's like, um, I want to get mad. I want to watch the woman kill all the men. <laughs> and then, like, just, you know, go, go cuddle my cats. Like, just, I want to see it. Um, and meanwhile, Handmaid's Tale is like, Oh my God. It's just such, it's my fix right now. It's everything. I love it. And it's so hard to watch and I can't, I dehydrate every episode. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I love the way you, um, cause it's so, this book is so gentle. There are, um, you know, I had an ex who suffers from really extreme Tourette's, mm-hmm. uh, one of the worst cases in the country. And a psychic told him that uh, he chose it. He signed up for it. And of course, I believe I believe that because I've seen it when I give readings to people. I can sometimes see their, you know, them negotiating at the table, making their soul contracts. And he was livid. He was so upset that someone would tell him you chose this. Mm. And and I thought, God, it is so hard to tell people. You know, if they're not. If they're not feeling like you chose your parents, you chose this, you made your own little world here, but you frame it so well and gently, like this Mm. book is just such a nice, warm, comfortable pool for you to like get really, really freaky in. And (laughs) there's this line, I think it's also kind of early on in the book, I wrote it down. You said, God is one kinky ass motherfucker. If God (laughs) is running the show, God must like it this way. And I loved that so much. And I wrote it down and then I kept reframing it in my own mind where I would say, I am one kinky ass motherfucker. If I'm running the show, I must like it this way. Mm -hmm. And holy shit. I mean, that's like, it's given me, it's empowered so much now where, you know, even um, the little things that I was stressing about, you know, I just leveled up and we tell Mm. ourselves, I can't maintain this. I can't do this. Everything's going to come crashing down and I won't be able to afford it all and blah, blah, blah. And after your book, I'm like, mm, I like putting myself through that. Mm, num, num, num. This is fun pain. I love to eat it up. I'm just going to tell myself what a, what a slutty little loser I am and how I'm going to fall apart. <laughs> and then later I'm going to feel good about myself. Yeah. It's like, it's like, uh, it's like self flogging and all these things. I di- I would always tell myself, I don't like that. I don't like, I'm, I'm not into that. And after reading your book, I'm like, oh, I'm into some weird shit. <laughs> Definitely into some weird shit. And I don't know, are you familiar with, um, in astrology, the black moon Lilith placement in people's charts? Mm-hmm. I am. Oh my God. This whole book is like the black moon Lilith placement. So mm-hmm. it's, it's so funny too, because, um, you know, when I'm, when I'm going to date somebody or whatever, I'll look at their black moon Lilith and it'll be like, um, oh, I don't, uh, you know, they don't like people who are uh, confident or they don't like seeing confidence in the bedroom. It makes them feel when really their superpower would be to be confident in the bedroom, you know, things like that. But this whole book just kept um, taking me back to my own Black Moon Lilith, which um, I have already embraced, but it was, you know, mine is, mine's Aries, which is like, I want to like mm. fight and fuck, you know, so mm. after, after really getting into this book and embracing that, which I only just started to do about two years ago, I just feel like, um, I feel, uh, dirty in this really fun way where now, and it's funny cause it's not even necessarily 
things that are going to get me off sexually. You know, that's like a little bit of a misconception. Like I'm not going to actually masturbate to some of the stuff that I put myself through, Mm -hmm. but knowing about it, knowing it about myself, that this does activate me, you know, it takes, it, it raises my vibration in a weird way. And I mean, there's something to that fear and anger, you know, it's, we like to, and you're absolutely right. I mean, I pay for VIP tickets to Halloween Horror Nights because I love to be scared and I love (laughs) anxiety. Yeah, it's a wild thing. And well, so even the most gentle comedy, right? Um, The characters get into some kind of wacky trouble. (laughs) So yeah, yeah. And the best... Mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, yeah. So it's not even just like scary stuff or horror movies. It's something it's just the, we humans love creating problems and we love the process of getting out of problems and, you know, yes. the heroically overcoming things like that's if without that, there's no stories. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually it's so funny. I went to, I was in college in Pittsburgh, too. I went to Point Park for musical theater. Oh. Um, yeah, I love Pittsburgh so much. And then I, I transferred to NYU for screenwriting. And it's funny because you're taught that uh, well, creative writing in general, but in screenwriting, you always have to make the stakes impossibly high. It has to be, uh, how are they going to get, there's no way to get out of this. And then people pay more for that. And you're absolutely right. Like this is a, a pleasure zone to see somebody suffer and be afraid and not, I mean, the best movies are the worst circumstances. And God, I loved Game of Thrones. (laughs) I loved it. Um, Another really funny thing that I keep uh, when I, when I describe this book to somebody, cause it's kind of hard to break down and really, you know, if, if they haven't gone through all the, all the different steps and even the exercises are just so good at sort of just fleshing it all out. But, um, I was describing it as pro pervert. And then I realized <laughs> I was like, but that's almost a little off because a perversion is something that not everybody has. And we're all, we're all perverts about something. So, I mean, it is like a personalized pervert kind of pro personalized pervert kind of thing. Um, but even finding the things, um, you know, uh, that, that I like to activate myself by feeling, mm-hmm. um, it's just, and, and on the other side of this, it's like, after you integrate your shadow, now you can really start to call stuff in and, you know, not to keep bringing up the secret, but like the secret was always, you know, and I had these friends, um, they would make the dream boards and they'd put them up in their room or they'd cut things out of magazines and a picture of their house that they wanted. And, you know, it works. I think it works if you keep picturing yourself there. I think that there is a lot to be said about what we actually, uh, carry around in our brains as our future, what we believe our future will be. But your book has such an interesting spin and I'm still kind of acclimating to how, oh my God, I mean, the, um, the fear, deepest fear inventory, I loved this was, I mean, I'm, I'm jumping around a little bit on my list here, but, um, I am this, I want you to tell people about it, but I also want to add that I am making this my next full moon ritual, my, the the list I've been working on since I started, Mm -hmm. since I read your book. Um, But would you tell people a little bit about the deepest fear inventory? Yeah, I would love to. Um, First, maybe I, I sort of wanted to get to another point that you were touching on, which was about the relationship between existential kink and the law of attraction, mm-hmm. um, which is I think they have a perfect relationship. They're perfectly compatible. It's just that um, existential kink gets you to the feel good place, not by ignoring or denying the yucky stuff, but by showing you how much you've secretly been enjoying the yucky stuff all along. Ooh, yes. Yeah. Yes, That's, yes. Um, yeah, so just like you were talking about, it raises your vibration. It gets you to that happier, freer place, which when you're at that place, you're definitely more, um, you know, receptive and attractive to all the good stuff in life, just like all the secret and law of attraction stuff says. That's absolutely true, except that, um, you know, I could never get there just with the affirmations and the vision. Yeah, me too. 
Yeah. 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 And, but it, it just felt too easy. And I know that also when things feel easy, we want to complicate them, but the, it really legitimately felt too easy. I was like, this just isn't touching on every, like it wasn't activating where all my power is, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So that's what we do. We, um, we find, so all of our power, especially as witches, um, is in sexual energy. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's the libido, it's the eros, it's like, what is, (laughs) you know, the magnetism. And so finding and liberating the life force, the eros, the libido that has been stuck in these patterns of attraction to painful things, we liberate that energy and then it's ours to use to, um, you know, direct towards whatever we want to the, the beautiful house, the new career, the new partnership, the whatever. And, you know, the, the visual, the visual design, the visual design <laughs> right now, all of that and the affirmations and everything, they work like gangbusters. Once you have liberated some of this energy, I, yeah. I call it solve and coagula. So from the practice, you know, the ancient practices of alchemy was all about dissolving the old and then recombining the elements in a new way to form something new, something more powerful. So we dissolve, so existential kink, I think of it as a solve practice that dissolves our old patterns through radical approval, radical, disgusting, unconditional love for all of our kinky, fucked up enjoyment of being broke, of being in a shitty relationship. Yes, yes. And, and then we, um, we orgasmically, sometimes it's an actual genital orgasm. Sometimes it's laughter that bubbles up. Sometimes it's just like a warm, like release in the heart. We release the energy that was stuck in those patterns that we kept stuck there by repressing, by denying, by disowning, by disassociating our true love of it. So like, yeah. for, for example, one thing that I've been working with lately is how I don't just have a desire for suffering in myself and others. It's like my highest priority. It's like my number one value in the world. And of course, my conscious mind says, no, my conscious mind, I have a bodhisattva vow. My conscious mind says, I want to liberate all beings from suffering. I don't want to suffer. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. But then and, and you have that. to lead with that. I mean, that's like that, you know, you have to, you've got to lead with it, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. But then I look at my life, what I'm actually creating, how I suffer, how people around me suffer. And I'm like, you know what, actually that creating suffering is my highest priority. And that makes sense too, because, um, you know, all suffering comes from a sense of separation from the divine, a sense of being wholly identified with this ego, this body, um, you know, subject to all of the vulnerability of death and um, disaster. And it's like, as long as I'm interested in seeing myself primarily as the separate little being, that is a commitment to suffering. Yeah. So, um, so part of what I've been working with lately is just like celebrating how much I love my separateness. I love everybody's separateness and I love how much it makes us suffer. That's the most, the thing I love most. And it's just being honest with myself about that. And what's interesting is as I'm honest with myself about it, there's this fun, like there's like levels of bliss and of feelings of unity become available to me like never before. So I just really wanted to note that. And, um, and my manifestation speeds up all the time. So it's like, I I guess I want all of our listeners to know that existential kink is really just a matter of honesty. It's a matter of getting dead straight, honest with yourself that you are a badass, powerful witch that you are creating your experience, that you are creating what you desire to experience at an unconscious level. And you can make that conscious. You can take responsibility for it. You can enjoy the fuck out of it. You can liberate that energy and you can create new things. You're not stuck where you are just because you've been enjoying them doesn't mean you have to keep them forever. 
Yes. Um, I love this. I do want to get back to the, sorry. Oh, the, deep, the deepest fear inventory. <laughs> well, no, no, no. But oh. first I want to, I want to, I'm so sorry. I'm, I seriously, I'm, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, can we talk for seven hours? Um, so the Bodhisattva thing, I had um, a very big spiritual awakening to that a couple years ago. Um, Bodhisattva and I'm vegan and I'm an, an animal rights activist and I suffer, suffer, suffer for the animals. And then last year I just had so many bad things happen to animals. I failed to, I, I accidentally tamed some squirrels and oh my God, it was a nightmare. Um, but I, I, <clears throat> every day check in with this pain and say, I'll never stop suffering over this. Like I, I was just kind of like religiously flogging myself for how I failed these animals when I know I didn't, I know, I know I didn't, but I couldn't stop feeling it. And um, when I was reading your book and, and, you know, it's just like this gentle reminder. I know what Bodhisattva is. And yet, you know, I see this in the book and it's like, oh, right. You know, the Bodhisattva doesn't want to ascend until everyone can. And so stays here. Um, what exactly is it to like, to bring about compassion for all living creatures? Is that what it is? Um, well, it's the compassionate wish to, um, liberate all beings from suffering. So it's, yes. yeah, Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. incarnating again and again. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and when I got to that part, I was like, oh my God. So this is, th- there are compartments for this. Like I get to still hurt for the animals and work for the animals. And um, there's something about it. I'm still trying to tap into it. You know, why, why I like to hurt for the animals. Cause Ooh, that's probably the hardest one for me to tap into, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. Um, it's also like, I, you know, vegans, a lot of vegans have a lot of self-righteousness, but being vegan is really hard. And I feel like mm-hmm. most vegans earn it. I am personally not a self-righteous vegan, but, um, you know, I do, I get like preachy when people want to talk about it. I shouldn't mm-hmm. say preachy because that implies that they didn't ask me a question. I do want to talk about <laughs> it, but, but I'm not, you know, walking around shouting about being vegan at the salad bar. So, um, mm-hmm. but I loved this reminder in the book, you touch on so many great, like all the greats, like even Alistair Crowley's in there. Like you, you are, you've clearly earned that PhD. <laughs> you oh. definitely know a lot of stuff to reference here, but the Bodhisattva was just such like a little, um, almost like an Easter egg for me. And, and it, I do think like the animal suffering was something I would not have I think I think I would have hidden it from myself that this is something I like to suffer from until I realized like, oh, but to feel the Bodhisattva energy, it's just there is a pleasure to wanting it to be a different way, I think. And yet, you know, knowing it won't be, but we work, you know, we're here to work and figure out how to get us all closer to to less suffering. And yet, will we figure that out in this planet? You know, I, I doubt it, but um, <laughs> I just, I just loved that. It was, there were just so many, your book came to me at exactly the time I needed it. And right now, you know, like I said, everybody's like really uh, hardcore roommates, you know, with their shadows. <laughs> like everybody's <laughs> so aware of their shadows right now. It is, it's right on time for the world. I think this book, um, <laughs> But I, I do want to, unless you want to add anything about Bodhisattva, but I, I want to talk about the, the deepest fear inventory. Um, yeah, I just, real quick about the Bodhisattva thing. Um, something that I've been pondering a lot lately is um, I was just listening to the Buddhist teacher, Robert Thurman, talk about it. He's the father of Uma Thurman, and he was one of the first Americans to be initiated into Tibetan Buddhism. And wow. uh, he was saying something that I thought was really, really profound about how, you know, with bodhis with being a bodhisattva the idea is to become more and more sensitive more and more compassionate more and more tender and in touch with the pain of all beings to motivate oneself towards liberation um but if we stay stuck in grief we're actually not helping to liberate anybody from suffering because we're just like a big pile of <laughs> yes <laughs> my up. My guides told me this. They said, if you, if you live in grief, you ignore the message was, was the download I got was this, um, you haven't learned the lesson and they'll keep reteaching me with more grief or, you know, with more, with more suffering. Yeah, absolutely. And so Robert Thurman was talking about how, you know, eventually we dissolve into ecstasy, dissolve into bliss, like get to so much grief that it just turns into bliss. And that I think is the essence of existential kink and the essence of, 
the kind of magical power that I'm into and that Aleister Crowley was into. I love Aleister Crowley. He was so Me too. So oh my God. <laughs> I have such a crazy connection to him. I'm, and just the other night, um, um, my I was like, I'm going to channel him in a seance. <laughs> I'm going to be there it. for that. Angela. Oh my God. Sign I would up. love, he will definitely come through if you're there. <laughs> oh my God. I want to talk to him. Let's, let's do it. That, that sounds I, like some great plans for uh, Halloween. <laughs> yes. 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 The veil will be thin. It'll be fabulous. Let's, I'm all about this. Um, yeah. The, 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 the crazy, like, um, I don't know. I mean, just the, even anybody who's like really read about Crowley and some of the stuff he did and that worked, I mean, he really got in there and found some crazy ways to unlock stuff. And, um, you know, the black lodge is so, I don't know what's going on. I, I was getting downloads about this recently and I got to, I need to journey and explore this, but, um, uh, I got this fabulous download about the Black Lodge and mm. aliens, and mm. I have to do a whole episode on this. But um, people are wrong. What they say about it is wrong, and it's it's so it's like perfect timing that your book and this would come through at the same time. Um, I just think we need the Black Lodge. You know, we need mm-hmm. these these things that are unlocking the fun stuff in this world. And yes, it's scary, but my God, it's so fun. Um, but okay, so, <laughs> so so deepest fear inventory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the idea for deepest fear inventory comes from um, a quote by the great orb mother, uh, Marianne Williamson. Um, <laughs> she the great said, orb mother. <laughs> there was this whole thing on Facebook <laughs> when she was running for president, all these memes about the great orb mother, Marianne Williamson. <laughs> and listeners out there but um I love Marianne Williamson deeply I do too she said yeah she said our deepest fear is not that we are um what is it (sighs) our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate but that we are powerful beyond all measure yes and so for deepest fear inventory what you do is you um you say you know dear god or universe or whatever um I deeply hate and resent And then you fill in the blank with the thing that you think you want. So, uh, you know, dear universe, I deeply hate and resent making uh, such a huge amount of money each month, um, just having so, so much to spend on all sorts of fun stuff, plus cover all my expenses, because I have deep fear that I... And then you start just, you start every sentence like that, and you just find at least 20 um, you know, feelings, fears, hesitations that you have associated with this. So dear universe, I just hate and resent making so, so much money every month, just having so much, you know, extra money to spend on all kinds of fun stuff because I have deep fear that I am unwilling to feel my family and friends being envious of me because I have deep fear that I will waste it all on dumb stuff because I have deep fear that I do not deserve it because I have deep fear that it will make me evil if I'm rich because I have deep fear that all rich people are evil because I have deep fear that I will spend it all on um, drugs and alcohol and turn into a degenerate because I have (laughs) fear that um, I, if I get more money, I should immediately give it all away to homeless people because I have deep fear and you just go, you just go, 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 go with whatever's in there. And then at the end, you write a little prayer. It's like borrowed from 12 step inventory stuff where you say like, um, you know, dear universe, I ask that you remove these fears. I pray only for knowledge of your will for me and the power to carry it out. And then Um, what you do is you read it out loud to another person that you trust. And you do this because, um, you know, there's great power in human consciousness and the more consciousness. So we're making the unconscious conscious. That's the theme with pretty much all of my work. And that's, you know, I love, I, yeah, I love that you have in the book, read it out loud to another person. I was like, yes, it gives it power. You breathe life into it. Yeah, you read it out loud and it helps dissolve the fears. So you read it out loud and the person listening just says, thank you for your honesty. They don't try to like psychoanalyze you. And you just say, <laughs> thank you for listening. And then you rip it up. And oh, so good. 
It is really, really powerful. It's very powerful, especially when you do it every day for a while and you start, you know, you get so bored of the fears. Like people that I work with, my coaching clients or stuff are like, do I have to keep doing this? It's really boring. And I'm like, yes, because your fears are really boring. (laughs) Yes. Yes. It's like pulling the monster out from under your bed, turning the light on. And it's just this tiny little monster. And it's, it is boring. It's not a big fun monster. And that's the thing doing the list. And, um, and I've gone like a little bit off road with it where there are things like, I'll just throw in there. Like, and I'm also afraid that nobody's ever going to love me because of this, you know, and, and oh, what yeah. would it mean if, you know, like I'll, I'll get really wild with it. But the thing that, um, I'm making my cousin do it too. Um, she's making a list. I make a list. So we're going to read them to each other. Um, Um, But I fold mine up and I put it in my bra over my heart and I sweat on it when I work out and I'm just like Mm -hmm. making it real goopy and gross. And then we're going to tear them up and burn them under the full moon because, you know, just like to make it extra dramatic. But also because this is one of maybe the only exercise I've ever even heard of that feels like banishing and manifesting simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, it's banishing the fears, but it also feels like you're calling in the thing you want, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. That too. Yeah. So, correct. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Um, this other, the other part I really liked, um, I just, I feel like there's just, it, I, I just think so much of this book is for everyone. And that, that's rare. I think that's very rare that I could say that about mm-hmm. any book. But there's the the one, um, I think it's in exercises, The Hungry Ghosts in Love. Mm-hmm. I loved that. And it, would you talk a little bit about that, Carolyn? It's like so gross. And it's how it it's just such a universal feeling. And this, it reminds me very much of when, you know, you're like, dating and everything's great. And then you start to fall in love and then you see you're looking for reasons to get out. You start to make problems. You know, it just, re- it like triggered me in so many good ways. Mm, yeah, sure. So there's this um, Buddhist parable about the six kinds of beings in the six realms. So let's see if I can remember them all. Uh, there's hungry ghosts, there's um, animals, there's humans, there's uh, titans, there's gods, and there's um, beings in the hell realms. So each of them perceives the same world, except they perceive it very, very differently, depending on their own quality of consciousness. So for example, um, a human might stand by um, a riverside and see it as a river of water that they can drink. There it is. It's water. That's like our human perception. Um, a god might stand by the same river and see it as this flowing river of the ambrosia of immortality that's endlessly nourishing and tastes amazing. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> you know, and that's that's how they perceive the river. Um, a hungry ghost might sit by the same river and see it as just like a river of like pus and blood. And this hungry ghost might be so, so, so thirsty and they just, they want to drink, but the, even the river is so disgusting and they, there's nothing that can satisfy their thirst. So um, basically, uh, I think it's a fair bet that our consciousness works like this all the time. And even within our human existence, there's variations of how we can pull, um, you know, we can pull various uh, kinds of experiences of reality forth from the world around us, from other people around us, based on the quality of our consciousness. So um, we can definitely be in a state of being where we're really centered in our hearts. We're like really joyful. We're in that blissful space. And um, we tend to see the joy and the wonder and the good things about other people in that state and find people easy to love. 
Or we can be in a state where like, we're really unhappy with ourselves and we're like dissatisfied with everything that we've done. And then like, everybody's like fucking annoying and like gross and why are they doing (laughs) these things? And it's just like, basically, however we feel about ourselves, we will both project that onto other people. We will see other people that way. And we will um, secretly seduce other people into seeing us that way. So, um, I, yeah, I like to say that all of my intimate relationships reflect my attitudes towards myself. So if, um, and I've noticed this with my partner, that I can draw out pretty much any sort of attitude from him under the sun. I can have him, you know, treat me like I'm an amazing queen and like, he's just like totally obsessed with me and in love with me and worshiping me and doing anything for me. (laughs) Or, you know, if I'm feeling yucky about myself and I'm like judging all these things about myself, I can get him to like, um, yeah, like criticize me for everything and like tell me all these things about myself. I can get him, I can feel guilty and then I can get him to like blame me for like random shit that I didn't even (laughs) do. Like it's so, like I am so powerful. I, uh, you know, my vibration towards myself almost completely dictates like his response to me. And um, I'm not trying to say he doesn't have free will or anything. But <laughs> no, no, but it's true. It's true. Yeah. I, I think that this is, I mean, you know, we're all subconsciously reading each other's auras. Like it's, we're, and you two are intimately linked. You know, you got cords to each other. It makes total sense. And I just think it, it says a lot, you know, people think like, um, conf, you know, confidence and self-esteem are two very different things where you can fake confidence, but you can't really fake self-esteem. And it's sort of like, I mean, it's, it's why confidence can go a fairly long way, you know, especially with strangers, but like true self-esteem and, and love, you know, loving all this stuff about ourselves. People read that too. I mean, it totally makes sense. I just loved it when I pictured like this hungry ghost and this pus and blood. And I was like, oh my God, this is so many times. So, I mean, we've all done this, you know, we've all, we've all sort of um, projected our own stuff onto something. And it really, it, it says a lot, you know, when you go out into the world and you feel great about yourself, people pick it up. And there are so many times where I'm like, am I ovulating? Why is everybody, you know, what's <laughs> going on? And it's like, no, you just feel really good about, you know, you worked out, you did the right things and you're happy. Um, but yeah, you're, you are a tremendously powerful witch. I mean, this doesn't surprise me at all. I'm sure anyone who's read your book is not surprised that your husband is, um, you know, a little bit under a spell, a little <laughs> bit. I mean, subconsciously, maybe you put a spell on him, but you know, not on purpose. Um, I also wanted to ask you, what do you, like, what, okay, like as a witch, what what sort of, like, have you unlocked any special rituals or secrets or favorite herb or a deity or anything that you would encourage other people to work with? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I've done a lot of astrological magic. I love astrological talismans and charm Ooh. bags and that sort of thing. But um, I've gotten more and more into, you know, speaking of Aleister Crowley, Aleister Crowley was really into um the goddess Babylon, who is sort of, yeah, yeah, you're familiar? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, The Eon card, right? Yeah, she's on the Eon, she's on Lust. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Babylon, sort of for those listening who may not be familiar, she's kind of like Ishtar Inanna, the Babylonian goddess of love and war, who has been through the ringer of... uh, millennia of patriarchy. Um, she appeared in Revelations uh, in the Bible. St. John of Patmos saw her and uh, John Dee and Edward Kelly saw her when they were scrying the Enochian ethers and Aleister Crowley saw her. Anyways, she's basically this force of um, liberated feminine sexual power um, that, uh, yeah, is very analogous, I think, to um, Red Tara in Tibetan Buddhism in that she, Babylon, um, liberates us into bliss through magnetism, through desire, through sexuality. So um, I work with Babylon a lot these days in magic, and I also see her as like a patron goddess of existential kink because she rides the beast. She rides oh, the heaven, yeah. heaven beast of creation, and she gets off on it like crazy. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. You know, yeah. it's funny. I recently read that Aphrodite is also um, considered, you know, Babylon. But, but, you know, the, the Roman version. Uh, or yeah. Greek version. Uh, with, yeah, with, yeah, with yeah. The Greeks, the um, yeah. Aphrodite was their version of Ishtar. And they sort of like separated out her war aspects and gave those to Ares. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But but so she's this very and, you know, and she's red and red is also the color of Rubedo, the, um, you know, the fulfillment of the alchemical process. Um, so she's all about fulfillment and bliss and this like radiant, um, sexual energy that is also in a deep way, really, really, really compassionate. So oftentimes when I talk about like, you know, getting off on the pain of the world, people are like, oh my gosh, that's so fucked up. And on the one hand, yeah, it's totally fucked up. It's totally like sadistic and masochistic. And on the other hand, it's like, you know, the same thing that we started off talking about, like, if you are, if you're a really spiritual person and you think that, uh, you know, God is omniscient and omnipotent and pervades all reality, then clearly God does not have as much of a problem with. <laughs> I love that. I can't hear it enough. Seriously. It's such an excellent point. And I, you know, a couple years ago, I was just like, kind of like, ah, eh, fuck God. I don't need to talk to God anymore. I got all these other deities. I could, you know, like, like who cares? God's busy. God's a dick. But this has made God more lovable for me because I'm like, oh my God, we are God like, like and God is people like, you know, it's just, it, it, I'm, I feel like it humanized God in this weird way, but also, um, you know, we're all raised being told that this God and Jesus and little children, all this dumb stuff that just, you know, you go out into the world and you see it's all a lie. God's not pure love. God's a lot of things. But your book, I mean, I guess I kind of found God a little bit in this book. <laughs> like I just walked away, wasn't interested. And now I'm like, oh, God is interesting. Um, it wasn't, okay, wasn't, weren't um, Parsons and the other guy trying to summon Babylon or yeah. no, they were trying to make a moon child. Is that what? Well, um, yeah, they were. Um, yeah, they were invoking. I think they. Yeah, they wanted to eventually. I mean, the the gist of it is they wanted to bring Babylon's presence to Earth, and I believe they succeeded. I believe they precipitated uh, feminism and, yeah. and the sexual liberation of women and um, and the re-arising of the feminine witch force that we have now. That was what Jack Parsons was all about. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. It's funny too, because Crowley poo-pooed their efforts, but. Yeah. He was <laughs> okay. jelly, big time jelly. Jack he was. Like, way hotter than he was. And like. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, poor Crowley. He's fine. He's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I just loved this book and, and um, I told you, I don't think I mentioned on here, but I did um, buy the audiobook so that I could listen to your Tonglen meditation to you read it. So it's like a guided meditation now that that I can listen to. It's so good. And well, and at first I was like, oh my God, there's an audiobook and she reads it. Like that's for anybody who's just wanting to um, you know, get it. I do think the book form though is maybe uh better because these exercises, I've underlined so much of this book. It seriously speaks to me in such a freaking potent way that I can't, I ser- thank you. Thank you for writing this book, Carolyn. I'm serious, totally serious. Like you are helping countless people really integrate their shadows. And uh, the my favorite thing about this, I made this note, this book makes shame seem so boring. Just <laughs> what, I, and you know, and I liked carrying my shame and, and ooh, bah, uh, you know, putting myself through it. And I'm like, ah, eh, so boring. I could do so many other things with this energy. You know, it's, it's such a potent, fierce read. I, I, I think it's my favorite book so far in like the last two years. Seriously. Mm, and people so. send me a lot of books. And it's, it's, I, and I told you, I was like, oh, sex magic, whatever. No, it's it, there. Yes. I mean, I feel like it also, anybody who's interested in sex magic, this is going to take it up. I just feel like it takes everything up a notch. I, mm can't even tell you how it changed. I see the whole world differently after reading this book. I mean, I feel like you have to be some kind of channel because you're like 
these are like some freaking golden plates or, you know, some, what is that? Joseph Smith. What did did Moses have? Moses had stone plates or something, right? But I feel like you brought a message down from the mountain with this thing. I am totally sincere. Oh, thank you so, so, so much, Angela. Yeah, I like to hope that I'm a a prophet of this Babylon energy and, you know, bringing in the new tantric horizons. Oh, it's been such a joy talking with you today. I just realized I have to go downstairs and deal with something. The babysitter is asking for me, but um, it's okay. Do you want to promote anything really quick? I'm going to, in show notes, I'll have links too. Sure. Real quick. I just, um, if people want to get on my email list, they can visit my website, go to carolyngraceelliot.com and there's forms to join my email list and they can get the first three chapters of the book for free, which tells them how to do the existential kink practice. And um, then they'll get emails from me, which lots of people tell me are really fun. And they'll find out about all of my offerings, my courses, Um, the main two things I do right now, I have a membership called wealth, which will open again in March of, uh, 2022. And it's a really in-depth, um, community where leaders come into their full power via the hermetic arts, the alchemical arts. And I also have an existential kink coach training program, which will start, again in January 2022, and we'll be doing applications for that, I guess, in the fall and in December. Um, So yeah, so joining my email list, following me on Instagram, um, I'm at Carolyn Elliott, and you can hear about all of the things and come deeper into the trashy mystery school that I run. (laughs) I love it. I'm like, I got to get on this email list. Um, Well, thank you so much for writing the book, for doing this interview. I adore Adore you. You are definitely straight on channeling Babylon without a doubt. Um, and thank you for listening. You guys go check out Carolyn's stuff. Please read this book. Uh, like it'll change your life. It'll straight up change your life. Um, and until next time, keep living a life that's worth burning for. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye.